Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined with Stephanie Sharp. And I asked her to come speak with us today because, as you know, I set a goal to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. And all of our interviews are with people like myself who have either generated millions of dollars to help their clients make millions of dollars, or they are world-class at some skill set relevant to building a business to the seven-figure mark and beyond. One thing we haven't talked much about is how do you exit your business? How do you handle that side of things? We've talked a little bit about buying businesses, but not about exiting one. And so I've asked Steph to be on the call today because she's been involved in 20 billion, that's a B, 20 billion dollar deals. She's worked with over 400 clients in every industry from professional and health services, utilities, ferry operations, technology, retail, food processing. And in her finest career, she specialized in exit transactions uh, with Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, CIBC Wood Grundy, as well as corporations, individuals, private equity funds, and venture capitalists. And her average deal is usually being between a million to 10 billion, that's a B, dollars. So um, over the last 20 years, she's trained hundreds of entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals around the globe on how to successfully uh, complete an exit transaction. And so today I've asked her to come here and talk with us a little bit and share some of her experiences and what she's learned. So Steph, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Daryl. Always love talking with you, so I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had a little bit of a runaway conversation before the call. We were going off on uh, on uh, neuroeconomics and neuroleadership and neuropsychology and all that stuff. And no, uh, we we definitely get along really well, Steph. So thank you for your time today. Um, so some of our listeners here, you know, they're, they're you know they might not have even thought about exiting their business or for some of it might be really really relevant but how did you first come about to it i mean i'm sure when you were a little girl you weren't like i want to do exit transactions when i grow up so how how did how did that come about well it's funny you know i think uh you probably hear this a lot from people but you um you start out your life in business and you think you're on a track and when you look back you go huh it was a track, but not the one I thought it, thought it was. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I grew up with small business. My family owned uh, a few small businesses, and I owned small businesses very early and um, and ended up consulting with small businesses, restructuring. So people who wanted to expand, open new locations, launch new products, that type of thing. Mm. And that led me into investment banking and capital markets. So I was an investment banker for... Uh, uh, a decade, and that led me into negotiations. And because of my specialty in looking backwards in exits, outsourcing, uh, divestitures, uh, IPOs, that type of thing, because of that background, um, when the province of British Columbia, which is where I live, started outsourcing major operations, parts of the government, um, 
they brought me in to lead the negotiations because they said, hey, you've got a really unusual and uh, unique specialty, and we're exiting these businesses, even though it's government, but, you know, mm-hmm. we're exiting. We're no longer going to directly operate the ferries. The private sector is going to operate the ferries, mm. that type of thing. Then they said, we need you to come in and, and negotiate that for us and tell us how to structure it. So, um, And that's sort of in a nutshell. Those are my – that's how the deals progressed. And over time, I found – a lot of people, whether they were in a one-person business or, you know, a, a $10 billion a year business, um, really didn't understand the exit process because how often do we exit? Right. right. It doesn't no, happen that often. <laughs> right, right. You have no experience. You have no hours. You're talking about 10,000 hours to be proficient at something. you got zero hours. You have no idea what you're doing or not doing, right? So, um, and even for yourself when you got into it, I mean, what were some of the early challenges that you had in handling these exits? Because, I mean, in the beginning you weren't as, you know, well, exp- you weren't as experienced as you are now and you've been recruited for these big projects because you've obviously demonstrated yourself. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you had in putting together these exit transactions and the learning curve even? Oh, well, my first exit was um, economically driven. We'll put it nicely. Um, I was an owner in a restaurant. We opened in July 1981. And um, by September 1981, so two months later, BC had gone from um, no unemployment to 11%, and interest rates jumped to 25%. Wow. So the interesting thing with that business was we actually were breaking even, but there was – a payment pending. It was an escrow. Was so there was the the buyout of the restaurant was actually we had had a two stage buyout, right? Mm-hmm. Some money up front and then some money in December, and um, and so all the shares were in escrow, which means we didn't really own them until we made the final payment. And we went and said, look, interest rates are insane. We'll pay you a buck, and then we'll take over ownership of the restaurant because it's a big liability. It's a big risk, mm-hmm. right? In this economy. Mm-hmm. And the previous owners went, nah, well, we think you have to pay us anyway. And I said, look, you're going to have to take it into bankruptcy because you can't run it. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, we don't. They said, well, yeah, that's the way it works. So anyway, that was my first lesson in exits. Um, we did end up walking away because they, uh, they wanted a huge payout. And as I say, economically made no sense with right. 25% interest rates. Right. So... Um, so did I know at that time that that was setting me on a path to understanding more complex exits? No, I had no idea. <laughs> but I learned a lot from that exercise. I think the, that was the first time I realized not all business people understand about owning a business and what right. it means. Well, and that's an important thing to talk about because, right, because a lot of people coin any term – where they, you know, like they're quote unquote like self-employed or leading their own their own direction in their life, and that's you know it's such a <clears throat> it can be difficult, and it helps use other people's models. And I really like Robert Kiyosaki's model because he's got he's got this quadrant, but he's got what is it? It's uh, E S B and I, and on the left hand side you've got you know you've got, and forgive me, I'm seeing it in my head, but the E stands for employee and the S stands for self-employed, and they're on one half, and on the other half is a B and an I, and the B stands for business, and the other I stands for an investor. 
And the S stands for self-employed. And it speaks to what you're about to say. So, because if I hang out a shingle, if I, you know, if I'm a massage therapist, for example, and I put up some ads online and I get some clients to call me, I now say I have my own business. But really, I'm kind of just self-employed. Like, I have a job and I employ myself with a number of different people. And that's kind of a business, but that's not like a full-fledged, like full-fledged business as we know it. You know, it's not a corporation. It's not, a lot of those fail so quickly because there's no structure in place. There's no standardization there's no there's there's nothing there's not a whole lot there's one person who's got a skill set and you know i've been self-employed on and off my almost my entire life Uh, but i think that speaks to what you're talking about like they're good at what they do but they're not good at like you said like the business they don't know they don't know what they don't know essentially am i is that making sense i'm trying to put words in your mouth but i think it's it's important to differentiate and uh, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, if you're just filling your hours and you're kind of self-employed, whereas a business, you can step in and out of that. You can buy and sell it. Um, you know, almost like if you are a rental, a rental property landlord, um, you know, that's quote unquote, that's like, uh, I was told that that's a great way to study business law is because a, a rental property is an income producing asset like a business would be. You know, and when you've got management in place, like there's a process. Hey, you know, if there's the toilet's clogged, you call this number and you leave a message and we will fix it 48 hours. You know what I mean? And like there's there's some sort of standardization and process in there. But a lot of people, they are they are the business. And so they don't they don't differentiate and they don't understand all the stuff that encompasses with it. And it's interesting that you say that, because uh, one of the things that I help people progress through is the five different types of businesses that people own. Mm. So you can own a charity, Uh which is a business that you're running, but other people are funding you. (laughs) Maybe mom and dad, maybe your spouse, right? Right. But you're losing money all the time. Um, You can own a hobby where you're sort of break even, you love it. You love it, right? Mm-hmm. That's why you're doing it. I mean, and the charity, usually you're doing it because there is a greater good or you love it, right? There's a passion there. The hobby is you're kind of breaking even, um, but you're not really making money, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then you can own a job, which is what you're talking about, where basically I'm making the same as I'd make working for somebody else, mm-hmm. except i got to run everything. Yep. Uh, and then you can own a, a basic business, which is non-transferable. In other words, nobody else can take it over. It's profitable, like a lot of dental offices, for instance, or consultancy practices or agencies. They're profitable. But nobody else can come in and do what you do because it's all in your head. And I think that was really Uh what you were saying Uh is Uh you can't get out of that. There's no way out because it's not transferable. And then there's the transferable business where you're growing and you're profitable and it's saleable. Right. right, 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 right. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. That's a really well. And so, what's let's kind of we kind of defined it, but what's so non-transferable business? Can we talk about that a little bit? So, if someone's like, "Hey, I've I've got a consultancy here. How do I know if my business is transferable or not transferable?" Can we talk about that a little bit? Like, sure. What, is, what are key things that you like that are right off the bat? You already mentioned a couple, but some more triggers that go that's non-transferable. And what does somebody do if they're in a non-transferable business? Are they trapped? Is there, they condemned forever or <laughs> no, we have no condemned people. <laughs> uh, there's always a way out. Yes. We just we just have to create it. Um, and you know, to be a little more serious about it, it used to be that you could get trapped, but with the internet, with technology today, there are so many ways out now. Mm. You do not have to be trapped anymore. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole new world. There's a there's 
uh, it's very exciting, actually. Um, but not to get off, off topic, you want to know about non-transferability. So one of the things you mentioned that's critical, of course, is having systems, and we hear about that with the E-Myth, and we hear about that with you know, millionaire consulting and all of those type of things where we say, oh, we have, you know, you have to have systems, systems, systems and processes and that'll make you transferable. And and to some extent that's true, although you can overdo it and you can kill your profitability. Mm. Right? So you have to be cautious on the systems thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, what, draw, what is behind the, the uh, message that you have to have systems is that what you really have to be able to do, let me step back a second, what do people buy? Why do people buy a business? They buy a business not because they can make money in that business, but because they believe they can make money in that business. Right. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, it does. It makes perfect sense. Right. And so what we need to have the business be transferable is we need to, to help them believe that. And mm-hmm. how do we do that? We say, look, this is the way my business makes money. It's, you know, here are, here's how we price our, our products or here's how we price our services. Here's how we drive profits at the different levels, right? Here's how we know we're going to be profitable. Here's how we make sure we have enough cash flow. Um, and, and so being able to lay that out and teach other people how to do it now it's transferable. And transferable, by the way, doesn't just mean you're going to sell it. You might be literally transferring it to a family member, to, um, you know, to a young professional or a younger person in your company, your management team. So it can be transferring in a number of different ways. But the fact is you have to be able to teach it. It has to be repeatable. It, has, it can't be, well, I, I ask all these questions questions that are kind of in my head and then I, I kind of put it together because I have 30 years experience and you know out comes the answer right because that's not transferable right 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 that's awesome no that's a really good definition so then what do you what are some of the problems like you're right so you're in an exit deal what are some of the key critical I guess we talked about is it transferable or non-transferable and that right off the bat, if you're brought in, so the government of Canada brings you in or some corporation or Goldman or some investment bank, or you're dealing with a small business because I know you deal with everyone across the spectrum. Um, Somebody comes, they want to sell. So one of the first things you determine is what category of business that they have. And if they're non-transferable, then you, I guess they have to make it transferable. That's the first item on their to-do list or. Absolutely. Right. So one of the areas I've become a real specialist in is called outsourcing and that's, uh, and it's uh, preceded by what's called a carve-out. In other words, you have a big entity like a government or a corporation, and they have a little small business they want to get rid of, mm-hmm. right? They want someone else to run it. Um, what is it? Right. We have to define it because it's not transferable, or you're not going to – let's put it this way. You could do all the paperwork, and technically you've transferred it, but it won't be successful right? if you haven't defined what that is and how it's going to work. Right. Right. Because if it's not clear how that, we'll call it a business unit for the sake of lack of really good language for it, but if you don't know how that business itself is going to run on its own, what are you transferring? Yeah, right. That's not, it, it is, as I say, you can always do the paperwork, and we see lots of businesses that get, and I quote, sold, um, where the deal falls apart later, right? Because right. it wasn't transferable, because they weren't clear on what was being Right. How the business made money, how it was going to survive, how it was going to end up paying back um, 
the price. So for a lot of businesses today, it used to be that about 20% of deals in small and mid-sized businesses were financed by the owner, had a partial financing by the owner. Right. It's called an earnout, isn't it? It can be an earnout. It can be it can be a number of different things. But yes, it's that type of structure. Right. Um, nowadays, it's eighty percent. Got it. And so, eighty percent people... of businesses are financed by the business owner. Uh, business sales are financed by the business owner because That's of changes crazy. in the capital markets. Yeah. Wow. And it's not going to get better because fifty percent of business owners today are saying they're going to retire within seven years. So there's going to be a glut of businesses on the market. Right. So if you're not ready for that exit, if you don't have a business that's, if you don't know how you're going to transfer that out um, and you suddenly decide, I want out, mm-hmm. maybe because of health or family situations or, you know, you just hit that point or maybe you have something more exciting you want to do, mm-hmm. um, you, you, you know, wake up in three and a half years and you look around and you go, oh my gosh, look at all these other businesses for sale. How am I ever going to sell mine? Right. Right, it's right. not and ready. Now, now you have to learn how to sell businesses. You have to learn how the business of <laughs> yeah. selling businesses, right? Yeah. And that's a whole different world. That is a whole different world. So for those of the people listening and earnout, basically what that means is and what we're what we're talking about here is that there's such a lack of I, I don't want to well, forget, correct me if I'm wrong in any way, but like a lack of confidence or a want of demonstration, uh to, of the business's ability to perform. So when I said an earnout, basically what that means is that the owners get paid for their exit over time as the other person slowly steps in and kind of proves over time that one, the business will continue to generate a profit, and two, that it's not that it is transferable, that it's not dependent on the owner. And so that's where you get into a lot of these situations where I'll go, all right, I'll buy your business for whatever, a hundred thousand or half a million or a couple million. But, you know, you have to run it with me and kind of hold the reins until I can take them over. And it's kind of a gradual handing off of priorities and tasks and all that. And at any point in time, um, depending, I guess, on the agreement you make, it sounds like the buyer can kind of just back away. And, you know, you might have spent a year already with them and gotten paid some money. But now you're stuck with the business still because they kind of backed out of the earnout. Is that kind of correct? Is that Again, correct me because that this is, is my field. That is one time. very common scenario, and usually it is within the one to two year mark really? uh, when those ones fail. And so, what happens quite often I've seen is people will say, "Oh, I've got these young people in. I'm going to transfer the business over and over." And everybody's, you know, everybody's excited, and they, you know, they transfer the business over. Um, the owner goes off and does charity work in Africa, or flies around right. the world, or goes and plays a golf, or whatever right. they're doing, and um, they're depending on this earnout, and it's getting less and less and less because the people can't run the business, and so they don't have the funds to pay it out. And the person, the professional or the business owner, ends up coming back in, taking over again, and they're starting from scratch. Right. Um, that's very common. The other type uh, is a, is simply that it's seller um, financing, just like you might do not very often in real estate, but it does happen mm-hmm. that uh, you say you know I want to sell for this price. People can only get a mortgage for X amount, and so as the seller, I'll take a payment in six months or a year. Or, mm-hmm. And so it's seller financing, essentially. That's very, very common now, and as I say, it used to not be common. It used to be about 20% of deals. Now it's 80%, and I just recently read that statistic. And that can be great for a buyer. I mean, it's you know, it can be great for a buyer in real estate or even in the business because it, you know, it affects my credit limit. Uh, I, uh, my understanding, it doesn't affect your credit the same way as if you had this outstanding mortgage that you couldn't pay. Um, you know, it's it's kind of quote unquote less severe for the buyer. 
Um, still equally as stressful in any case, but it's terrible for the seller, right? The seller, you just want to be done, walk away, clean your hands of it, and, you know, sell it and move on, right? Just We call that tail. Amongst my friends, we call that tail. We, like, for example, we look at businesses if, as a marketer. If you want to get into an industry, we look at businesses with a, little, a very minimal tail. Um, so, for example, you build someone a house and it collapses seven years later and, you know, you're liable because you did something faulty. That's tail. That's like stuff that can chase and haunt you later down the road. Um, so you just want something that you can sell, be done with, you know, and, and just walk away from and sleep really well at night, right? Not having to be like, oh, you're going to get pulled, called back from Africa to jump into this thing you've been doing for 30 years and, right? Yep. And one of the interesting things when you start talking to people about why this happens um, is that, and I've had this conversation so many times with uh, business owners who say, well, um, you know, I'm financing the they're going to pay me over time because they don't want to go to a bank and borrow the money. Right, right, <laughs> and right, I, right. I think, <laughs> why? Yeah. I mean, I know why they don't want to. They don't want to make that commitment, but I'm saying it's the same commitment to you, and yet you both view it as different. Right. You as the seller are buying into the higher risk profile because you are selling to someone who has a mindset that they don't have to, they are not as committed to you, that it's not as onerous a commitment to you as it is to a bank. Right. Why not? Right. Right? right. That's right. a, right. Yep. That's, that is a, a mindset that I really try and work with people on. Not to say we never have seller financing. We, we, we can have. Um, but the more transferable your business is, the more you can prove up. I'll tell you, there's more good capital out there looking to back the purchase of businesses, then there are good businesses for sale right now. Right. And right. that's been true for 20 years. Right. The, the, you talk to capital markets people, they're like, we want to find good deals. We want to find good deals. What do they mean by good deals? They mean where they go in and look at the business and they have certainty that this next person can take it and run it profitably and grow it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, that was something What that was uh, – I remember I was talking with Darren Hardy from Success Magazine and um, asking him, I'm talking with him, I forget where it came up, but he was talking about he got a chance to speak with Warren Buffett and he asked him what one skill do you think has helped him in his career be so successful as an investor and he said the ability to say no because of exactly that because there's so many not good deals that uh, you just have to sort through them. But let's talk again, let's get back on track with talking about the exit. So all right, we discovered that the business is non-transferable, so... That means what? Like now, what do, what do I have to do if I want to transfer my business? It's non-transferable. I have to find a way to teach it to someone else, or right. So some sometimes it's simply a matter of sitting down. If you're you know if, if you're talking about what I do with clients, for instance, sometimes it's simply a matter of sitting down with them and clarifying what their business model really is. What drives the profitability? How do they actually do the pricing? Because just because it's in someone's head doesn't mean it's going to take you. Doesn't mean that it's going to take you months to get it out of their head. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's literally a matter of a sitting down for a day and just getting it all out of their head. Right. Um, and and it's amazing. Like that's the difference between being able to sell your business and not sell your business. Mm. Is that one that one day? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know how much is that worth to you? Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I can't sell my two million dollar business because I won't sit down for a day with yep. a, with an expert, right? Yep. Um, and then. The other thing is that, yes, sometimes there is a, uh, a teaching coaching component. I would call it more coaching because if a business is, is not uh, a charity or a hobby, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if if they're if they're at the stage where it's more than a job, it's profitable. You know, you've got a, a, a track record and a st- steady stream of business. I'm not in the position of really teaching those people. What I'm coaching them is to articulate all the um, aspects of the business that make it transferable. And sometimes if it's um, if it's really at the stage where it's transitioned from a job to a business, in other words, you know, maybe in the last few years it's really become profitable and really taken off, mm-hmm. what we do is we say, okay, over the next three years, we're going to coach on um, creating the track record that gives the uh, the buyers or the financiers the comfort that this business is repeatable and that it's transferable. Because having that track record, having those, you know, um, having everything documented in terms of financial results, monthly, quarterly, being able to look back at biz- at the plans and say, oh yeah, it worked out exactly like they planned, um, you know, and they and so. Th- showing that you can do that, showing that you are teaching other people how to do that and people being able to look back. That's called due diligence, right? Mm. They go into their due diligence, they look back and they say, wow, this is a, this business is transferable. I get it. Mm. So when you're trying to make your business transferable, you have to think about, move yourself into the mind of someone that would be taking over. They're not going to be happy if you've just, um, created something yesterday right they want to see that this has happened over time I, you know if it's a family member and you've been working together for 20 years of course it can sometimes just be a matter of putting the documentation together like i was saying but quite often um you're talking about people from outside or people not as closely related to you you need to have a track record so it's not unusual for people to spend a couple of years getting ready for an exit wow got mm-hmm. it got it got it got it and, and that can make the difference, by the way, of selling for a million or selling for three million. <laughs> right, right. Because right. I think it's the, the the greater the confidence you can give a buyer. I mean, it's all it's anything in marketing. That's why they say specificity is one of the most powerful things in copywriting, because the more specific you can be about the promises you're making and the, the results you're going to deliver, um, and the more proof you can provide of that, the more greater the confidence, which also means you can charge more money, because it's right. Because it's 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 there's less risk. Right. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, all right. So then where do you find a lot of people struggle? Like when these transactions, what tend to be the biggest sticking points for people? Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know, are, I know. I opened up the are, so That's a big question, Daryl. <laughs> I, I know. I'm sorry. But I mean, uh, for the people that are listening, if they're interested and intrigued, mm-hmm. I mean, if mm-hmm. you do so many of these, there's got to be... Yeah, no, there are. There are some really big sticking points. So number one is probably not having adequate financial records. I would say uh, when I talk to investors and bankers, um, that's the, you know, if they're looking at a range of value for a business, they're, if they don't see good financial records, they're going to the low end of the range or they're going to walk Right. one or the other. Right. The second thing is, again, not having the other parts of the business clearly documented. And I'm not talking about writing a 300-page, you know, operating manual. But if you have key customers, get it in writing. Uh 
You know, especially if you have long-term contracts, you deal with somebody where you deliver something every month for years, like throw it down on paper so people can see it's real and you've both agreed to it. Mm-hmm. Because when someone new comes into the situation, they don't know. Right. They don't know what the relationship is. They don't know what the expectations are. They don't know what it's based on. So that whole documentation piece is critical. Um, the second thing I would say is a big sticking point is, um, you know, often the business isn't, it, it's, it's languishing. You know, people, when they start thinking about selling, it's often they've thought about it, thought they leave it too long. And so what happens is they're not really investing in continuing to grow. They're kind of putting enough in to keep it limping along because in the back of their mind is, well, I'm going to sell it. And as time goes on, of course, the value actually starts deteriorating. Uh because they haven't been reinvesting for the growth because they're sitting there thinking, well, I'll probably take it out. So I don't, I don't want to start some big new initiative because maybe somebody won't want to buy that or maybe, you know, maybe I won't get my money back on it. Mm. So if you're going to, if you're, if you're going to, there's two aspects, I guess. So one sticking point is simply not having everything in place to, to have the business transferable. But the second is that once you've decided you want an exit, plan you need to act uh quickly so you need to talk to an expert right away and find out can i get the value i'm expecting that's the number one thing you need to go and do because if you can't get that value you need a plan to get that value Hmm. or you need to adjust your lifestyle to for the fact that you're not going to get that value right and most of the time 80 percent of the time um, the reason a deal falls apart is because of a pricing issue. Really? Mm-hmm. And a pricing issue on the business or a pricing yep. issue within the, within the business? No, on the business. So that's right. So they don't val- the, the valuation is out of whack. They're valuing their business at a million dollars when realistically on paper it's only worth 100000 because there's so much of that is in, you know, in personal relationships or opportunity that's undeveloped yet. Is that correct? Yeah. Typically a business is worth about a third to a half of what the owner thinks. And yeah, that's a common thing as well. I remember people saying that, yeah, businesses usually sell for multiple years earnings. Is that, I mean, again, we're painting in really broad strokes here because there's yeah. industries, but, <laughs> but for the most part, is that true? Is that something, if someone has a profitable business that's doing, I don't even know, it will say half a million a year and they've got five years history of that. Does that mean that and they've got, it's transferable. Is it realistic for them to expect a couple like multiples or do you know what it like? So it depends. So, you know, a lot of people will tell you it's multiple of profitability, but the reality is it's actually multiple of free cash flow. So just mm. to, I know that sounds super technical, but it actually no. makes a lot of sense because your profit isn't your cash, right? We all know profits are not cash right? because our profits have things like depreciation and all these non-cash things in them, right? Right. Um, so our cash flow is how our buyer is going to pay off the loan to buy the business. And so it's a multiple of cash flow, but not just the total cash flow. It's the multiple of the free cash flow. So some businesses, you have to reinvest quite a bit every year Mm -hmm. um, in order to um, keep the business going. Maybe it's got very expensive capital equipment. You need to keep buying new equipment or whatever. And so you have to take that out of the cash flow number because if you think about it, if I have to keep using my cash to just keep going, I can't use it to pay off how much I bought the business for, right? I can't use it to pay off my purchase price. 
Right, 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 right. So let's say that again. Let's because I, I want to make sure that this is clear for everyone. Um, yeah, it's because I know it's a little huge. bit of complex. It's a little bit complex, it's, but it's, it's a huge issue. It's not. It's and, net profit. Basically, they can they'll sell their business for a multiple years of net profit. It sounds like you're saying because that's really the only thing that the owner is buying. Right? They're buying. You're you're almost factoring your business income. Right, you're you're in, that's like and, and and I mean you're selling your business, you're walking away from it, but you're selling the money you are projecting you're going to make at a discount. And so if, it's it's and I and I differentiate between cash and profits. Right. So my net profit is actually a profit number, and and that's calculated by taking off depreciation and stuff. I don't want to deal with that. How much cash? If I start the year with a stack of cash on my desk, right, and I'm paying bills and people are buying stuff, my cash stack is changing all year, right? Right. How much cash do I have on my desk at the end of the year? Right? right. How much is right. coming in and out of the business throughout the year? And then I want it so, and then how much do I need for the next year? That net cash flow, what we call free cash flow, but it's that net cash flow is what you multiply. And so... Let's just say, for example, let's say you have a million-dollar-a-year business, mm -hmm. and after paying yourself a market salary and everything, mm -hmm. um, you have cash. The business is generating cash of like 200000 a year cash flow. Right. Let's just say. Right. Out of that 200, so and let's say that your business is, uh, let's make it simple and say it's a service business, so we don't really need any of that to keep going. We just keep people employed and we're good, right? Right, right. So the 200000 um, is how much the buyer can generate to pay off buying the business. Right. How many years do they want to spend paying off the business before they earn any money? Right. Yeah, probably not more than three in a lot of instances. Exactly. Because partially a certainty issue back to that, you know, yep. how sure am I I'm going to make money? Right. Because um, even though the free cash flow is 200000 they still have to pay for their living expenses at the same time. Right, and they would be getting some sort of market salary because we've already taken that out. Right. already said we're paying oh, right, right, right. the owner the market salary. So you're making a salary, but you're not making any return for mm. taking all that risk for buying that business. Mm. So here's where the disconnect comes in for a lot of people. They say, well, my business, I'm generating a million a year, so it's worth, it's worth a million a year. It's worth a million at least. Mm -hmm. But if it's 200000 cash flow and the person wants to pay it back in three years, it's only worth 600000 Right. That's where the disconnect comes in. Yep, yep, yep. And a lot of people think that they have employees or coaches or contractors who will ultimately buy their business. I had this conversation recently with a big um, – internet marketing expert mm -hmm. and and he said well my coaches will just pay me millions of dollars to buy my business and i said i didn't get into an argument with him but i'm thinking well no right <laughs> actually they won't at the most they'll pay you three maybe four years cash flow maybe um but if they think they can go off and start on their own and make more on their own they're going to go do that mm -hmm. right 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 so so how do you protect your business and how do you structure it up so that it's transferable? So the notion of, for instance, this isn't talked about in small business, but think about applying this concept from big business, golden handcuffs. If you want your, let's say you're an engineer and you've got a senior engineer who works for you or 
you're a uh, you own an agency and you've got some really bright guys who are you know 20 years younger than you working for you if you want those guys to buy you out how do you tie them into the business so they don't just go and start their own thing uh-huh. so that's all that's all around the exit i mean this is all about structuring and planning for an exit oh, yeah. i know it it sounds like a lot of different stuff, which it is. If you had to learn it all yourself, I mean, it's taken me 30 years to learn it. Right. Um, but the fact is that you can go through, the, you know, you go through it pretty stepwise. We start at the end. What do you want ultimately? What do you want your lifestyle to be like? You know, once you've, once you've retired, once you're out of the business, how much do you need? Now let's work that backwards to what the business needs to be worth and how much we need to make. And we... Um, take that exit plan and we actually embed it right into the strategy so you're not worried about two different things. That's right. That way, yeah, because your business, right, right, right. No, that makes that makes good sense. And it ties into your annual goals, which ties into your quarterly goals, which ideally you should be breaking down to the monthly and weekly goals. And exactly. it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful at it, but <laughs> there's a quote. I forget the quote now, but it, uh, plan, a planning is everything, but a plan means nothing. I think that was... Voltaire that, said that, you know. That is absolutely true. <laughs> and, well, and the thing is that as you go forward, whether you are going to retire in a year or five years or ten years, the fact is that if you have that exit um, in mind, what you're really saying to yourself is, I'm going to have an ownable business in the meantime. Uh-huh. Right, which is, which is what I think... To be honest, I have a friend. He does really, really well. His business, you know, he, a couple million a year. Uh, the margins are just, they're insane. Like his, his, his lawyers, like, worry about them being audited all the time because he's buying products for pennies on the dollar. Um, but that's his complaint is he's like, yeah, but I can't exit it. And I'm, you know, and, and part of it, I'm like, yeah, but you have an ownable business, to use your terminology. Like, you have an actual business. Like, he's in a really comfy position. So I think that that, uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs, that might even be what they need, right? I mean, depending on the time commitment, that just just making your business more of an ownable business, quote-unquote, where you're not the singing and dancing bear, you're not the focal point of everything, could actually be the freedom that a lot of people need. Maybe they don't want to exit entirely. Because they started. a lot of people started the business because they had an interest in it in some way, shape, or form. You know, in that Absolutely. If you, if you have no passion, you probably aren't going to get to the point of it being a transferable business. Yeah. You're not going to work on it that hard. You know, Um, and and the interesting, um, I think the interesting sort of side note that nobody talks about with having an exit plan, particularly embedded in your strategy, is that allows you what I call an emergency exit. Okay. Right. What happens to your family, your employees, your Uh, client, if something happens to you? Right. Or and you know, and there's no exit plan. There's no there's no transferability. What happens? Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, the, the business just dies. It just, yeah, it's, or, or it just kind of sputters and, and like a bucket with holes in it. It just kind of runs dry eventually. Exactly. And, you know, it's something as simple. This happened um, with um, somebody who was very close to me. They had a motorcycle accident, uh, broken neck, broken back, um, you know, medivac, the whole bit. Um, small business owner, you know, mm-hmm. one to $2 million. And um, everything revolved around him. Yep. And he was, you know, in the hospital for weeks yep. and then not able to move for another, you know, it was 10 weeks altogether, I think. Wow. Um, 
And sure, he was on the phone, but on morphine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which makes for interesting conversation, sure. Those are great, those are great meetings, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you're not out selling. You're not out... Uh, yeah. You're not doing nearly the same rate of proposals. You're leaving your proposals to your staff who you've never taught how to do that stuff. So the pricing is wacky. Yeah. So you come back, you've got unprofitable jobs. They've promised stuff you can't live up to. Um, the books and the billing and everything is in disarray. Yeah. Um, and then you have to recover from that. Yeah. Talk about a setback. Well, and he was 60. Wow. And, you know, it's... It, it took him um, years yep. oh, to yeah. recover that because, you know, 15 years to get there and boom, in six months, it deteriorated to almost nothing. Now, can I ask about where does an IPO fit into this? Because we're talking about exits yeah. and all this stuff. And I'm thinking like, hey, I know a couple of people that, you know, they built a company and they either either they got a bunch of VC capital and they hired a team, an executive team, and then they backed out. Um, or they took went public, and you know, and and apparently, from my understanding, I'm I'm in Canada, like you, and um, well, Canada and California, but most of my business career has been Canada, and I don't, it's not as common, I don't think, you know what I mean, and the business community doesn't seem like, anyways, for people to go IPO, but I, the the success rate, from what I've heard, is like really. I don't want to say abysmal, but I just have heard that that's not necessarily a good exit strategy to go that route. There's not a lot of guarantees and, you know, you have to have a really robust business to do that and do that well. Can you speak to that at all? Sure. I used to be, uh, well, when I was an investment banker, that's what I did. And um, so IPO is definitely an exit option and for a business that is transferable on steroids. (laughs) Got it. And that's the problem, is if you aren't transferable to a private buyer, you sure aren't transferable to a public company. Um, And a lot of privately owned businesses, um, my view is with small businesses going public, it's part of a larger strategy to have a strategic buyer buy you out. And that's certainly one of the things that we, uh, we looked at in terms of our strategies is we took these companies public not with the view to having them public forever, but having them bought out by someone else. Okay. So canola production company that got bought by ConAgra, um, a, a company that invented the flat plug, which you may not may not have seen, yeah. uh, you know, to be positioned to be bought out uh, by actually now it's been a number of different buyers, but uh, GE was our original target. Um, so, wait, wait, wait. So, you, so some businesses will organize themselves to go public, not because that's the exit, but because that ad credentializes the business for strategic buyers. No, because it bumps up their value. Got it. Um, so they get bought out at a higher multiple. So even as a small business, um, well, first of all, it's capital to grow to a size where it's of interest to the bigger companies. Right, okay. And then secondly, you get this multiple. So when you're private, yeah, even if, um, so I had a brain surgery company, even if they'd gone to Baxter right at day one and said, hey, do you want to buy us out? First of all, they were too small. They needed more capital to grow. But secondly, they would have got maybe, if they were lucky, 10 times um, uh, earnings because of the growth potential because their stuff was very innovative, right? Mm -hmm. But as a public company, the day they listed, they were at, 17 and they just shot up from there so when they got out by got bought out by baxter they were much higher multiple and a much higher value because they poured all this money into growth too 
So often exits where you're bringing in other investors, so even things like licensing your product or service, franchising, those are all exits or partial exits. Right, because I know that I know a lot of guys in in the marketing space and coaches and people who are people who are successful either at, like I know people who are very successful sales trainers and all sorts of things, um, people who have been very very successful in a certain um, vertical, right? So say for example, you run I don't know, we'll say hockey camps and you just you know run a multi multi million dollar business running one or two camps. Um, they could franchise it. I know of some people do franchising, but franchising comes a whole suite of regulatory issues and accounting issues to be aware of. And so I know some other people have taken that same avenue approach, but what they do is they just kind of package and sell what they do, uh, license it essentially, like you were saying, they license it out and that way they don't really have a ton of, you know, there's not, I don't think it's as thick. It's not as heavily regulated type thing, but they're still kind of being able to scale themselves and draw more income for the business. Now that doesn't get them out of their original business. Um, but if they build it up to a point where they wouldn't need the original businesses and they could close them and just live off the licensing, uh, the money they make from the licensing, or they could sell off the licensing stream, cash stream. I mean, we've done that with companies, too, where um, they've franchised, and a franchisor doesn't make much, right? The franchisee take, makes most of the money, but they also provide most of the financing. Right. So franchising is not only an exit, but it's also a financing vehicle. Mm. So the franchisor has got all these franchisees, you know, paying them for, for the franchise rights. Right. And then you just... Um, uh, well, a good one here in Canada that's well-known uh, was, I think, uh, A&W, I think, went into a trust, a REIT, back okay. when, those were, <clears throat> when those were good. So it was publicly listed. <clears throat> People bought shares because they wanted the regular franchise fee stream. Hmm. Right? And so there's all different ways to get out of your – actually, I have 17 ways to get out of a business. Really? 17. I know. Everybody thinks, well, I only have two choices. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, buy it. 17. Or, yeah, that's crazy. 17. Do you have that like in a checklist or something? Is there. I do. Do you have a URL I, we can send people publish, to? That, that's a great... I should publish that. Well, you know what? I'll do that okay. and I'll send it to you. How's that? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. And people, they'll find it somewhere on our site. They can either email us and ask about it. Um, or we'll put a link uh, to your show notes to this once we once we get that set up. Yeah, because that would be uh, I just sometimes not knowing what your options are is also a big obstacle for people, right? Because they don't even know what they don't know, which is why getting on the phone with someone like you like this is so valuable. Because uh, well, I know even with my clients, you just right the the was it is that um, that story a guy's hot water tank breaks down. And this isn't going to be true to hot water tank mechanics, but whatever. It breaks down. He calls the mechanic. Mechanic comes, takes a look at the hot water tank, goes, oh, that's the problem. Pulls out his hammer, knocks on it twice, and the thing kicks up, and he, like, leaves. And then he's like, oh, I'll send you the bill in the mail. And he's like, okay, guy. Because, okay. Later, he gets a bill for, like, 100 bucks, And the guy calls him up to complain and be like, hey, you know, what's with the bill? $100? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Let me itemize that for you. Because he's like, hey, all you did was hit it with a hammer. And so he's like, let me itemize that. And he gets a new bill. It's like hitting your hot water tank with a hammer, $1. Knowing where to hit, $99. <laughs> and that's, and that's, that's, yeah, and that's the power of expertise, right? Because you can spend yeah. so much time and energy going in the wrong, oh, oh, the lessons I've had to learn. <laughs> and people feel like, why didn't you just tell me that? You mean I could have just saved the last 10 months of my life? What? So anyways. Uh, well, and one of the things that I find um, uh, both dis distressing and, and concerning from my perspective is that people get told they should go down a certain pathway, like franchising, like an IPO, whatever, 
and it doesn't suit them personally. Hmm. It's not aligned with who they are and how they want to spend their business life. Uh-huh. And so I believe, I'm very, as you know, very interested in behavioral finance. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that finance is actually all about people mm-hmm. because finance as a system doesn't exist anywhere in nature. Finance is very much a human construct and it supports our life. And each of these exit choices mean living a different way during the exit period, during the transition and afterwards. Mm. And so a part of the exit planning process that's really, really critical, we, we haven't even touched on today, though, is, is about who you are, how you want to live, how you want to spend your time. Right. Right, just planning your life. And then what do you love? Yep. Like, I don't want to put you in a situation, and I've seen businesses do this because I used to take lots of them public. Um, they're going through, they're going public because they think, you know, that this is going to be a really glamorous, exciting thing. Right. Um, they hate the process of going public. They find out it takes, you know, months and months and months, not a couple of weeks, which they thought. Right. And then when they're public, they have all this reporting and this investor pressure and the press is all over them. And they're like, oh, my God, I hate this. Right. Like, what was I thinking? I had this business I loved. Right. And now I'm doing this. Other people have taken that and they love it. They're just like, yep, I'm all over it. Investor presentations love it. I'm on the phone with those guys all the time. I'm good with that. Mm. Right. I've got a really good CFO. He's pumping out reports, and I got a whole team making my products or delivering my services, and I'm all I'm good with that. But it's a different person, mm. you know. Really works for some people, really doesn't for others. And nobody in investment banking will have that conversation with you. I will have that conversation with you. Right, right, right. But that's and that's again that's because you've just you've seen the need and that's and developed that expertise over time. Because there's right so many people they don't think about the end in mind. They they don't think about who they they're focused on the wrong things. Which kind of comes back to you know like sure people want everything they can out of what they've got, but there's there's different types of income. There's physical income and there's psychic income. And that's kind of what you're describing. People go for the IPO because they think it's going to be this big glamorous thing that's going to make them a bazillionaire and they think money is going to solve all their problems and they realize, no, 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 no. They've got a ton of physical income now, but the psychic income is shot. There's like none. None of the stuff that was rewarding them is there. And I've I've been in positions where the money was great, but it just wasn't enough. Like, you know, you, you can only... You can only force yourself to do something you're not comfortable with so long before it has a huge impact on your, you know, on your life. I mean, even take a look at Japan. Uh, women, was it single women in Japan, single working women in Japan have the highest amount of disposable income, but Japan, a country as a whole, is the highest suicide rate in the world. You know, and it's like it's obviously if it was if money made was happiness, then the suicide rate wouldn't be so high. And yeah, it's because there's there's such an over. I, I lived in Japan for three years. There's just, an, uh, I mean, there's wonderful things. It's a beautiful country. I love it. But there's also like a lot of overcommitment to duty and responsibilities, and you know, and and social and just lots of like quote unquote shoulds that a lot of people feel trapped, and that's their only way out. So you have to have the physical and the psychic income, and that sounds like what you're talking about. So, what is all right? So we talked about figuring out what type of business you have making sure it's transferable and then determining the type of exit that you want and recognizing that it's probably going to be, it sounds like probably going to be like a one year plus process of exiting. Is that correct? Absolutely. We have, you know, I do put together, as I say, that emergency plan that's a four month process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, it's, you're not getting highest and best value. Right. <laughs> you're right. not going to get your top dollar, um, but you're going to get out with something, It's which is better than shutting the doors and walking away. Right. So, um, 
I usually say to people, expect it's going to be a year. Um, it takes you usually three or four months to really get your head around what you're selling. Right. Even with somebody leading you through it, mm-hmm. um, again, you can do it in a tense session and kind of, you know, blitz through. But, but really wrapping your head around it and saying, where can I pull value? Where are all the pieces? A lot of people actually leave a lot of value on the table. Right. They don't understand the, the equipment they have or the customer yeah. that they have, the, the yeah. intrinsic value in those. I know, yeah. people, I know a guy, that's all he wants. That's all he wants. A lot of business he looks for, key yeah. equipment and customer list. That's all he wants because if he can just buy that, he'll start his own business from scratch. Exactly. So you want to take that three or four months and really figure out with your experts around you what you're selling and what your liabilities are and all the rest of it, right? right. And then you want to spend um, some time uh, putting the, the structures together that are going to um, take you through the process. And by that, I don't mean the stru- if you need to structure the business itself, it's a longer time frame. Mm-hmm. But structuring the selling process taking a couple of months at least to sit down and say, what kind of, who, who's going to buy? Right. When are they going to buy? How are they going to buy? How am I going to reach them? Um, what am I going to say to them? Why are they going to buy? How much are they going to pay? Where are they going to get the money? Where am I going to get the money? Right. If, you know, if you're doing some financing. Um, what are my parameters? Having all that. So now for your first thing is get your business in shape. The second is now get your deal in shape. Right. Right, and then you have to start getting some attention and uh, attract those people to the table, and that might be very simple because maybe it's your internal team, and it's a matter of starting to have conversations with them, or it may be more complex. Maybe you're going out to underwriters, or maybe you're going out to the VC community, or maybe you're, you know, uh, looking for to get an external management team to leverage out that type of thing. So, um, you know, that attraction phase, you. If you want to get best value, you want to do it fast and well. Right. Right? You want to get their attention, get the product in front of them, the product being your business, and close the deal. Mm. That, means, that means all your due diligence materials and everything have to already be ready before you talk to them. Right. You want to be running a process where you do not want to go out, talk to one person, they're interested, they're looking at your business, they spend a few, you know, weeks talking to you or months talking to you. Meanwhile, people are hearing your business is for sale. Now they're worried about buying from you. And then your employees maybe start looking for other jobs because they're not sure you're, whether you're selling or not. And then that person walks from the table and then you have to go find somebody else. You don't want that. Right. And that is what a lot of businesses experience. Right. Do you know that owners who try to sell their own business uh, uh, have a success rate of 5%? Wow. One in 20 who try to sell. And, un, and investment bankers, on average, close 40% of their deals successfully. Wow. My rate is 100%. Wow. I have never had a deal fail. I've had a deal delayed. I will say that with okay. Mark, two, two deals delayed with market conditions. Right. Um, one was delayed for a few weeks, so it hardly counts. The other one was delayed for a couple of years because markets really went down. Right. And is that because you're so detailed in the like preliminary process? Like you get all the ducks in a row before you show up? What, like, why would another investment banker, why would there be such a huge gap in between your performance and someone else's performance? The three top reasons deals fail. It's priced wrong. Um, the terms are not acceptable. To one side or the other, which is about expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and the document doc you know there are surprises the documentation doesn't support or people come across surprises in the business that they're they're not expecting i i will not take a business out to market until all of that has been addressed right 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 which is which is good. I mean, it's clear clear accountability really is liberating. It's almost like the truth will set you free, but it's it's a matter of looking at all the dark all the corners of the business first before you have other people. I mean, it's just it's like checking your work. It sounds like. I mean, and not to not to oversimplify what you do in any way compared to anyone else, but it just it sounds like you're just very thorough and like you say, like you put yourself in on both. You're good at being. Are you a Gemini? It sounds like you're good at being on both sides. <laughs> no, um, I'm Virgo actually. Got it. But you're good at being seeing both sides of the table, and you, yeah, just putting everything in a row in advance, making sure that because I think that that's there's a book I forget what the book was called. Uh, I think it was called Built to Last, but it was yeah. talking about how you know how uh, basically wanting to avoid an earnout because they're tough and like you said they fail so often. You want to create a transferable business, solid documentation, really, really everything very, very clear, very comfortable for anyone that's looking at it. And it's what's difficult is because that also has to happen on top of your existing day to day relationships and business on its own as is is a fight like you know that's why the top was the top the fortune 500 i think every 40 years it's like every 40 or 50 years it's like 80 90 percent of that list is all new names um because you know in business there's just it's, it's chaos there's a lot of turmoil right things evolve and change and so um, it's it's important, I guess. It sounds like to to have a lot of documentation and clarity of what's existing, and have just a really solid, stable business to get out of it. Now, I don't want to make it sound daunting or, or <laughs> like scary, because I know I'm kind of building up to that. But it's like anything in your business, right? You sounds like you need to know what you're doing, what the co- root causes of things are, because that's the other problem you probably come across again too. And, and we might go over time, but hopefully you're okay. Um, but, oh, I'm good. Because. I think with a lot of people, they might not necessarily know what contributes to their profit. They may think they know, but when you try to document it and explain it for someone who wants to buy the business, they're a bit at a, at a loss. Is that is that correct in any instance? Or Oh, absolutely. And a lot of people, their um, financial information is far too complicated and detailed. It actually doesn't help. Ooh, I love um, that. Can we, can, yeah, what do you it's mean? What? too much detail. <laughs> love that. I love that. All right. Yeah, and so what happens is you can't show people the big... Um, the big trends and the big patterns that mm. that they can understand how you're making decisions. So, um, you know, one of the things that we do is often we change the reporting, the financial reporting, so that both management and, um, you know, bu- investors and the buyer can look at it and say, oh, this is how management's making their decisions. This is what's, this is how much it costs them to attract customers. This is how much it costs them to actually deliver the product or service. This is how much it's costing them to develop products. This is a, now I understand how their how management is allocating their money and how they're making money. Right. Right. But you get your typical financial statements from a lot of businesses and it's this big laundry list, you know, of labor, fuel. Right. What does right. it tell me? Yeah. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Yep. <laughs> you know, I want to know um, I want to know in the in the context of what are your you know, what are the key areas. Like if you look at Starbucks financial statements super simple they have their big category is store operations okay. boom and that's what they call it like it says revenues and that's the accounting term there but it says store operations underneath and you're like i know instantly do you not have a picture in your head instantly right. of what those numbers are going to tell you right. they're going to tell you how much how many people are going in and ordering lattes right you know that right 
That's how easy financials should be to read. Right. Right. And right, that's right. how easy your process information should be to read. People glance at it and go, get it. I got it. I got the business. Got it. Mm. Right. Not to say there isn't tons of detail behind it and training and, you know, Saturn operating procedures and all the rest of it. You have to have, they have to have the stuff that makes a business work. But in terms of going out to the buyers and in terms of being able to tell that story and not have surprises and have a proper understanding of value, um, I actually, most of my time is spent saying, don't make it so complicated. This is fun. This is, this is fun. This is easy. This is about moving on to a new stage of your life, creating the next stage of your life. This is cool. Right. 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 Of course. I mean, that's what keeps me in the exit stuff is that, it's not that, um, you know, it's not that uh, uh, it's the only thing I can do with a capital markets no, background. There's lots of things I can do. Um, but because I really love to see people move on to that new life, it's, mm. it's so rewarding. I have clients who've done everything from literally, you know, taking that around the world trip to, to you know, going off to their fishing cabin right. <laughs> to to starting a new business, to starting a charity, to like they just, you know, the passion comes out, right? And you right. release that and you're moving on. And so many people, when you talk about exits and selling a business, like, oh, yeah, you got to do this. And you got to do diligence and it's all, you got to mitigate your risk. And, you gotta, and it's whoa, boring. Right. Right. Let's right. talk about, let's talk about the excitement in this and what's going to fuel it going forward. Right, right, right. No, I love that. That's such a great note because you're right. And that, what a great rewarding – it must be so rewarding because that's your pool of customers, like your friends and people, like your contacts. You're creating a community of people that right, that have exited their business and moved on to living the dream that they want, essentially whether it's for retirement or to get, get involved in other future projects. So, and it, it, right, if it's done right, it should be an easy, simple process. It might take some work. It might take some time. But anything we're doing is we're doing right. Um, and there's 17 different ways to exit, which I think is just awesome. <laughs> there are 17 different ways, and yes. I will send you that checklist. <laughs> please do. Please do. And is there any question I should have asked that I haven't asked in this call? I mean, I don't even know what I don't know because I haven't. I was the guy. I, clo I literally I closed down my doors and just walked away from a business that was doing six figures because I didn't. Oh, you make me cry. I know. I know. It's It's... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Don't do that. I, well, I, yeah, there's geolog. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> moving different country. Yeah, it's, anyways, it's a story. But so, what, are there any questions that I haven't asked that I should have asked? Um, I think the only thing, the only kind of point, I'm not sure that it's a question you should have asked, but mm -hmm. the, the only point that I would like to sort of touch on that we interestingly touched on before the call and not <laughs> on the call is the issue of mindset. Mm. Um, that. Um, you know that there, that really your your psychological well-being. I guess you're talking about your psychic income, but your psychological well-being is so integrated with this whole process. Mm -hmm. And there's this fear of leaving something that's as, as integral to your life as your business. Right. And so, quite often, people will put it off. They'll procrastinate. Um, you know, well, I'll think about. It. I I really should think about it, but maybe later. Right? Right, um, right, and then they end up for whatever reason in a situation where they suddenly have to exit, and they end up walking away or getting very little for it or getting into an absolutely messy transaction that you know doesn't work for them, and it and it really is devastating. And so, 
when I'm talking about mindset, I'm saying, you know, um, look at the exit as, as transformation, as opportunity for a new life, not as, you know, this is going to kill my identity and I, and I no longer exist, <laughs> mm. uh, which is where our brain tends to go, right? Right, right. No, of course, because we're afraid of change. We're afraid, and what is fear? Fear, uh, false evidence appearing real, F-E-A-R, fear, right? And that's just, we're afraid of the unknown. And it's easier if, to just do nothing, right? And just, you know, when you, we'll cross that bridge when we get there mentality. But this is something that it sounds like there has to be deliberate planning and it has to be part of your business strategy. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean just because you plan for it that that's how it's going to happen, right? But it sounds like it is something, like honestly, this phone call and even part of inviting you here is because, you know, I'm just, just to be have it on my radar, like, yeah, where where am I going to be in 10 years, right? Because that's something that's really important. I think for everyone listening to this call, anyone involved in any sort of business to think about, hey, what do I, you know, do I stick with this for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years? Am I selling it? If I want to sell it, what, you know, what are some of the ways I want to sell it? And to just to, to begin with the end in mind. So, um, no, it's been a very, very informative, very, very powerful, very helpful call. I am so curious to see that 17 exit checklist. Um, what are you working on these days? What are you excited about? What do you have going on? Well, I have, of course, I'm always working with my clients who are in the process of exiting or exit planning. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very, very exciting. We've got um, a couple who are heading to IPO, funny enough. Wow. And, um, and also working on some new uh, training for people. Mm. Um, I think I was telling you before that people often find, in terms of transferability, um, getting their pricing uh, structured in a sort of standard way, uh, getting, getting their profitability structured um, is a challenge. And so we're actually working on a whole pricing for service businesses tool that uh, people can use and they can just hop online and figure out what the what they should be pricing their services at and what their profitability is if they do that and what their payment options are and and then go from there got it got it got it yeah i remember we talked about that it's like a self-diagnostic tool that can kind of people answer a bunch of questions and it's gonna it's you're working on it now but it's gonna spit out a report kind of to tell them what they need to do to make sure before they come talk to you what they have to have ready is that correct yeah, and it's um, uh, I'm working on it in conjunction with somebody else who her specialty is scaling businesses because, of mm. course, that's critical in what I do, right? Mm -hmm. We want to scale people up to be able to exit at the price they want. Right. And um, and what she realized was missing, she's very good with processes and systematizing and scaling, but she didn't have any way to set the prices. How do mm. I set prices consistently? And um, she said, because she works with uh, agencies, web agencies and stuff, and she said, so I can, I get them, so they all have nice systems and processes for doing, you know, websites and SEO and whatever they're doing, um, but how do they price that? Right. And I said, well, <laughs> I can help you with that. Right. And then we decided that would be a cool thing to collaborate on, so we've developed that with her. That's awesome. So yeah, we're going to be that? testing if it next week. If someone wants to check that out, where where do they go to find out about this? <laughs> you keep asking me that. Um, th that is literally going to be going up in about a week and a half. Okay. And it'll so, be on your website? or It will be on my website, okay. yes. So millionaireexits.com. Okay. And uh, the pricing tool uh, will be up in about, uh, yeah, about a week and a half. 
Got it, got it. So yeah, so go check out millionaireexits.com. That's plural, right? E-X-I-T-S? Yeah, so when you spell millionaire exits, you end up with two E's in the middle. Got it, yes. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yes, yes. The things you don't notice until you're typing later. (laughs) Right, right, right. No, no, that's fine. So millionaireexits.com. Go check out the free tool. You should probably just even check it out anyways to compare with what, you know, what an expert says you should be pricing your products at. Are you underpricing yourself? Are you overpricing your products and services? So... Um, I would definitely go check that out. And if someone wants to reach you, is that the best way just to go to your website and find your contact info or do you have an email or something or Steph at millionaireexits.com. Steph, S T E P H at millionaireexits.com. That's the easy way. Awesome. 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 Well, Steph, I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your experience and knowledge with us and some, and the tips. Uh, it's been very informative for me. It's, uh, perfect because we're just planning for the next quarter right now. And so, no, it's just very, very timely. And I already know a couple of people that I'm actually going to refer to you because I know that they're at a point where they need to talk to someone and I'll just, I'll be sure to drop your name. And I hope the people listening to this call, have really taken notes and paid attention to it because I think that is really important. I mean, seven habits of highly effective people, you know, one of the key, key principles is start with the end in mind. I think that's huge with anything you have to know where you're going if you just got in your car and just drove you know who knows where you'll end up and you don't want to do that with your life or your retirement or your business so i think it is important to think about how you want to exit and that's why i want to know the 17 point checklist and figure that out if you need to email steph i'm sure she'll get you a copy of that or get in touch with us if it's not already on the page with the show notes um and yeah and steph thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you coming on here and uh, i just love talking with you we just have a lot of fun I know. I love talking with you too, Daryl, and I and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. <laughs> yeah. You just you make my day. Aw, thanks, Steph. You're awesome. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, What can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. Uh, You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.